What I want you to do this morning, go ahead and take your Bible, go to the book of Judges. Um, we're going to be in Judges chapter 13 uh, together. And while you turn there, I want to play a little game with you. All right, so, so you need a team. So you don't need to leave your seats. Your team can just be the people who are sitting next to you. So just, you know, look at each other, identify your team. If you need to give them a nod, give them a nod. Hey, you're on my team. You let them know. All right, you ready? So this is a game that, you know, actually uh, psychologists play this game. <laughs> it's called word association. So what I want you to do is in your team, you don't need to shout it out, but just share it with your team, the first word that comes to mind when I say this. All right? You ready? So here's, here's the first one. Um, dog. <laughs> Some of you need counseling just based on that answer. <laughs> Okay, okay, good. So it's got that. Um, farm. Good, good. Summer. Okay, all right. Samson. Delilah. Don't you, don't, you don't think of like this incredible physique standing here before you when you think Samson? Okay. Oh, okay, hold on. Isn't that? This is what you think, right? I, I did this first service, and I gotta be honest with you, I don't know how you women do this. This is like, <laughs> especially with a goatee. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was kidding. So there's, there's absolutely no way that's staying on all morning. Um, yep. So later you'll know. Okay. All right. So. What I want you to do here real quick while I put my real microphone on, and that was because first service, we exploded a microphone because I was wearing this, yeah, long story. Talk to your, your team and just kind of talk to each other about this. What do you think the main point of the story of Samson actually is? What, what do you think? As we get ready to look at it, what do you think the main point is? Go ahead, talk amongst yourselves. All right, good. You got it all figured out, right? So I can pray, we can all go home, we can say it's done. Amen, amen, all right. <laughs> all right, so Judges chapter 13, we're going to jump in and look at the story of Samson and kind of try to wrap our heads around it and see if we can't figure out what the, the story is actually about. Before I do that, I want to kind of lay out for you um, some background in the book of Judges that's really important. The book of Judges introduces us to this cycle that's going on with the children of God in Israel and in Judah. And what's happening is this, is, is they're walking in great fellowship with God. Sorry, I'm going to be... Yep, there it is. It's going to drive me crazy if I didn't get that blonde hair off of me. Sorry. Um, so they're, they're going to be walking in fellowship with God, enjoying fellowship with God, obeying God, enjoying all of the fruit that come when you sow those types of seeds. And then that what's going to happen is after time goes on, they're going to grow complacent. And they're going to begin to, you know, compromise in some things. And then eventually they're going to end up worshiping the idols of the surrounding nations. And then God's going to discipline them by bringing in other nations to, to, to bring them into captivity, to, to correct them. And so now they're put into enslavement. And then after that, as would happen 
The children of God cry out to God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we've made a a terrible mistake, forgive us, please forgive us, we need you, God. And God in his mercy hears his children's cry and he sends a judge and that judge acts on behalf of God and and he judges um, the, the nations that have come in to oppress his people and when he has victory, then his people celebrate, hey God, you did great things for us and they begin to fellowship with God again and sow the right seed and then time goes on and they grow complacent and then the cycle just continues over and over and over again. And where we find ourselves in, in the Judges chapter 13 is actually in the middle of one of those cycles where they have found themselves being enslaved by a group of people called the, the Philistines. Chapter 13, verse 1, it says this, the Israelites again did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. The Philistines Those of you that have read your Bible before or been in church before, you're familiar with the Philistines. Goliath was a great Philistine, right? And so the Philistines are a somewhat common enemy of the children of God. And when you understand who the Philistines are, let me give you a little background on them. They they loved one thing that the Israelites couldn't have any of, and it was this, pork. Now, I'm going to tell you, the best part of a pig is bacon, exactly. So, So they loved bacon, so the Philistines were all about bacon, the Philistines were also one of the great military powers of history, and so they were, they were great conquerors and great warriors, which, which explains the story of Goliath when you see the, the armies going against each other, and Goliath, the great giant of Gath from Philistines. So they loved their bacon, they loved their war, and they also loved their drinking parties. They had these things that they had created and had been, become a part of their own culture called the Mizta. The Mizta was a, a week-long drinking party that they would engage in to celebrate some certain events, okay? So that is the Philistines. That's the culture that's surrounding the people. And what's happening to the people of God is that they are seeing this culture, they're being affected by this culture, and they're being sucked in by that culture. So now you get to, to verse 2, and, and, and I want you to notice a couple of things that we don't see. So I'm going to read um, verses 2 and 3, and I want, just want you to back your head as I'm reading those two verses. Think about the things that are missing from verses 2 and 3. You ready? Verse 2. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless and unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless. Thank you very much. But you are going to become pregnant and you're going to give birth to a son. So in those verses, there's three things that are missing that should be there. The first is the name of this woman. We have no idea what her name is. We know what the name of her husband is. It's Zora. That's all we know. So the name of the, the woman is missing. And from that woman, we see that her, her Children are missing, which let me explain that a little bit. In our culture, in our society today, to not have children is not a hopeless situation. I understand that there's great emotion and sorrow with it if you're intending to have children and can't. However, in this period of time, to not have children was to have no hope, period. Your family depended upon the number of children that you had to not only further your name, but to be able to further your wealth, to further your possessions, to take care of your farm, to take care of your possessions. And and in this situation, you have Zora and his wife have no children, which means they have no standing among the people. They're looked at as if they're being punished for a sin, and that's why they had no children. So there's, 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 there's no name of this woman. There's no children. There's no hope, and there's one more key thing missing. There's no cry from the people. 
asking God for help. Just God suddenly introduces and interjects into their time period the the promise of a coming judge. Verse 2, sorry, in verse 4, verse 4. Now see to it, so he's just promised that she's going to have a child. She has been childless. She has been barren. Now she's going to have a child. Verse 4, now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you don't eat anything unclean. You'll become pregnant. You'll have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Kind of a few things there. So now the angel of the Lord has come to this woman and said, you are going to have a child and you're going to raise him as a Nazarite. And so what I want you to do is as you carry the child, this child's going to be a Nazarite his entire life. So I want you to follow the, the rules of the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow is found in Numbers chapter 6. And it kind of lays out three things that the, that the person who takes the Nazarite vow is to avoid. And I'm going to put this in your head and it's going to be stuck with you, so I apologize. But it goes like this. The very first thing is no grapes. Now, it's not just alcoholic beverages. It's not just fermented grapes. It means, in number six, it explains it out even further. There's no grapes. There's no raisins. There's no grape juice. There's no wine. Anything that came from the vine, you are to avoid. So no grapes. No graves. You're supposed, to, you're supposed to avoid all death. You're not supposed to be near dead people, dead animals, all death. You avoid death. So no grapes, no graves, no shave. Simple, but it might stick. No shave. You're not to allow a razor to touch your head, to touch your face. The hair is supposed to grow. And I know I don't want to like, blow away your imagination, but uh, this would not have been the color of Samson's hair. Um, it, growing up in the Middle East, it would have been much darker and, 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 and much thicker, thicker than mine for sure, but much thicker. And, and so the, the picture is you would know if a person had taken the Nazarite vow, you would be able to identify them very simply. Here's the difference. In Numbers 6, as the Nazarite vow is explained and described, it's supposed to be for a period of time. So maybe a year, somebody says, I'm going to take the Nazarite vow for the next year, and I'll stay away from grapes and graves, and I won't shave, and and I'll I'll, I'll just follow. That way, I can dedicate myself to knowing what God wants for me. I can dedicate myself to knowing Him better. I can commit myself to His work and what He has called me to, and people would take note. The difference here in Samson's life is from the very conception to his death, he was to be a Nazarite. Here's a very interesting one at the end of verse 5. He says, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. I think that's interesting in the way that that's worded. The NIV says he'll take the lead in delivering the Israelites. Most other versions, the New American Standard, the English Standard, I think the King James as well, many others choose to um, translate that as instead of he'll take the lead to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines, they say this instead, he will begin to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. So it's an interesting choice of words that we'll stumble upon again here very soon. Okay, now we're going to get to the end of chapter 13. So the angel of the Lord has come to this woman. He said, you are going to have a baby. You're going to raise this child as a Nazarene. You're not going to allow him to have any grapes. He's going to avoid all graves, and he's going to avoid shaving. And so verse 24 of chapter 13, it says, the woman gave birth to a, a boy, and she named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw there a young Philistine woman. 
When he returned, he said to his father and to his mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. <laughs> okay, um, that's somewhat direct. I, I've seen, and actually in the Hebrew, the word woman is emphasized. So he says, he comes home, he finds mom and dad, and he goes, woman, I, I've seen a Philistine woman. Now go get her for me. And mom and dad are like, oh, hey, hold on. Cool your jets, man. Now listen, we got all of Israel and all of the beautiful women in Israel. Couldn't you have just picked one from Israel and married her? And he says, no, I saw a woman. Get her for me. Verse 3, she's the right one for me. Also translated as, she is right in my eyes. Now, first, let's deal with the attitude of Samson in this moment. Does that remind you of anybody from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Veruca. I want an Oompa Loompa now. I mean, that's what Samson sounds like. No, get her for me. I want that one. What is that all about? And what's driving that in him? And it's astonishing when you see that at the end of verse 3. What's driving it? She was right in his eyes. She's the right one for me. See, as we continue through Samson's story, you're going to find that that's his basic problem. It was whatever I want, when I want it, however I want it. But that's not just Samson's problem, is it? It's Israel's problem as well. Whatever they thought was right to do, they decided to do. That's the very last verse in the book of Judges. And the Israelites did what was right in their own eyes. But before we cast stones at Samson and at Israel, that's our basic problem too, isn't it? It's what I want. And the primary influence in my decision-making in every area of my life is my pleasure. It's what I want. This is right for me. This is, this is right for me. I mean, we, we, we have lost all understanding of what delayed gratification means. I mean, so think about it. Fast food. We, we, we have McDonald's. I mean, we, we have every, no, McDonald's, Taco Bell. Then we throw a drive-through on there because we can't wait. Now, now we can order ahead on our app. So when we show up, they hand us our, our, our cold fries that way. Right? I mean, that, we don't understand what it means to wait. We be careful with this, and, and and be sensitive. But men, that's what the struggles with internet pornography are all about. The fact that we don't understand. Well, I want it. I want it now. It's not going to do any harm. Yes, it is. So, so let's look at Samson's words. She's the right one for me. It's right in my eyes. It's what I want. Well, here's the problem. When you live a life like that, men, the ramifications touch everybody around you. The ramifications ruin your life. They ruin the, the life of your spouse, the, the life of your children. All of them are affected by this selfish seed that you continue to plant into the ground. It's what I want. It doesn't affect anybody. Yes, it does. Yeah, but, but it's right in my eyes. No, no. That, that, that needs to be something far greater than that as we 
consider what it is that God would want for us. She's the right one for me. So look at verse 5. Samson goes down to Timnah together with mom and dad because mom and dad have to meet this woman that Samson has found. And as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Stop right there. That last phrase stand out to anybody? He tore a lion like he would a young goat, because that's a thing, evidently. So you have a picnic at your house, some fireworks, a little cornhole, bring in a goat, tear it up. I mean, I don't know how this fits in, but evidently in their culture, tearing up a goat, that was a thing. He just lays it out there for us. We're just supposed to take it at face value. All right, we take it at face value. So he tore up a lion like you would tear up a young goat, but he didn't tell his mom or his dad what he had done. Why? No graves. So he went down and he talked with the woman and... He liked her. All right. Sometime later, he went back to marry her. So he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, that the one that he had slayed, because evidently he had a little bit of pride in him, and he wanted to see how this, 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 the body of what he had destroyed was, was faring. And he turned aside, he looks at the lion's carcass, and in it he sees a swarm of bees and some honey. So, you know, the natural thing, what all of us would do, Right? He scoops out the honey with his hands and ate it as he went along. (laughs) What? I mean, obviously, it's just beyond our imagination to begin with. I mean, if I, okay, this is gross, but understand. If if I accidentally hit an an animal with my car, I mean, when I drive by, I might look and be like, oh, I hope somebody got that. I feel terrible. But I'm not going to pull over and be like, look, bees, honey, I think I'm going to give it a go. Samson does. And so Samson scoops out some honey, and he eats it, and he enjoys it, and he rejoins his parents, and he gave some to them too, and they ate it. But he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Why? No grave. He had just made them unclean as well because he was so focused on himself. So now they go down to see this this woman, and in verse 10, we're told this, Samson held a feast as was customary for young men. Okay, so what is that talking about? Well, actually, it's interesting. The word feast is the Hebrew word mista. Remember hearing that? That's the week-long Philistine drinking party. Now we have a problem. No grave, no grape. Now we have a problem. And, and so he starts this party, and think about it this way. He's, he's going, and they give him 30 men to hang out with him. I think it was probably more to keep an eye on him. The idea is probably this is almost like a Philistine bachelor party that's going on, a seven-day drinking binge bachelor party. All, nothing but good could come from that, right? So in this party, Samson decides to have a little fun and make a little money. And so he says to the guys that are there, the 30 guys that have been provided to him, he says, let's, let's, let's make a bet. Let's make a bet. I'm going to give you a riddle. And if if you can figure out my riddle before the party's done, then you win. But if you can't, I win. Okay, what are we going to wager? Okay, this is a little weird, but it's coming right out of Scripture, so just bear with me, okay? The wager is this. If the men figure out the riddle, 
then Samson will get each of them a new Easter outfit and a new pair of underwear. I'm just delivering the mail. Somebody else wrote it, okay? However, if, if they can't figure it out, then they have to give Samson 30 new outfits and 30 new pieces of underwear. Weird bet. I'm sure you could come up with something different, but that's what Samson went with. They agreed to it. They said, okay, tell us your riddle. And so here's his riddle in verse 14. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Okay, as riddles go, scale of one to ten, that's probably a two. It's a terrible riddle. It's awful. But it has to do with his interaction with the lion and then the bees inside the lion as he scooped the honey from the, the lion's carcass and ate it. He says, so out of, the, out of the eater, the lion, something to eat, and out of the strong, something sweet. So, so here are these 30 guys at the bachelor party, and for, for three days, the first three days of the party, they cannot figure out this riddle. And they are racking their brains, and they're trying everything imaginable to try to figure it out. And so finally they say, you know what, on the fourth day, this is too much. So they, they go to Samson's fiance, you know, the Philistine woman. Woman. And they say to her, listen, your, 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 your husband-to-be, Samson, has this riddle. Can you coax him into telling us the answer of the riddle? Okay, now, now, I just stated it as a could you, but it was a little stronger than that. They basically said, if you don't get the answer, then we're going to burn you and your father's household to death. And so she was convinced. <laughs> Look at verse 18. Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing. <clears throat> you hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't even told me the answer. Now, that's my inflection read into that, but I, I have a feeling that's probably what it sort of sounded like. Samson's response is, I haven't even explained it to my father or my mother. Why would I explain it to you? Okay, men, that's not cool, okay? Just laying that out there. It gets worse. It gets way worse, but that's not cool. So how does she respond? Verse 17, she cried the whole seven days of the feast. There's a bummer of a bachelor party right there, man. She's just weeping the entire time. So on the seventh day, after she has cried for seven days, on the seventh day, he finally tells her because she continued to press him and she, in turn, explained the riddle to her people. So just before sunset on the, the seventh day, the men of the town came to him and said, oh, we think we got the answer, Samson. And Samson's like, oh, okay, so why don't you go ahead, give it a shot, whatever. And the guy's like, okay, so what's sweeter than honey? What's uh, stronger than a lion? And they get the answer to his riddle. Now, I told you it got worse. Listen to Samson's response. Samson says to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Oh, oh, guys, that's not an option, in case you're wondering. Remove that one from your memory. <laughs> However, Samson somehow in this moment demonstrates a level of integrity that should surprise us because up to this point there hasn't been a whole lot of integrity and the rest of his life there wasn't a whole lot either. And he goes down to another city in, in Philistia and he, he 
takes 30 men and he beats them up and he takes all their clothes and their undergarments and he brings it back and he pays his debt to the 30 guys. Here's one for you and, and here's the other part and one for you and pays off his debt and he goes back to his dad's house and he is furious about what just happened. Now fast forward a, a little while, we don't know exactly when, 15.1 says later on. So later on, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. Of course he did, because, you know, that's what you did back in the day. You didn't bring flowers or chocolates, you brought a goat. Goats have a very prominent part in this story. Do you picture that for a moment? Have you like shown up at your date's door with a goat on your arm? Ding dong! <laughs> Good day, sir. I'm here for your wife. You're, you're not your wife. Ugh, my wife. My wife. That got even more interesting, didn't it? That is not the part of this message I thought I would mess up. <laughs> well, all right, on that note. Um, so Samson goes to the house with goat in tow and says, I am here to see my wife. And in fact, 15.1 says, I'm going to her room. And daddy, who had opened the door, says, ah, no, you're not. I, I can't allow that. Why? Look at verse 2. I was so sure, Samson, that you hated her, that, that I gave her to be married to your companion. Look at her little sister. She's pretty cute, isn't she? What about her? You want her instead? Samson is livid. He says, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. And so Samson goes and he hunts down with his hands 300 foxes. He catches 300 foxes by hand. Get that in your head for a minute. Have you ever tried to catch one fox? He catches 300. And then he gets them together by twos. Have you ever seen foxes play nice together? Especially when you grab them by the tail and tie them together. And then he takes a torch, sticks it in between the tail, brings 150 sets of foxes to the fields of the Philistines, lights the torches on fire and goes, go! And the foxes take off into the fields. They scamper away, torching the wheat fields, burning everything up in sight, destroying the fields. I mean, that's a great practical joke. A little extreme, but creative. Now the Philistines are angry. They say, who, who did this? They say, Samson did it. And so what the Philistines do is they then go and burn up Samson's wife and her dad. Not the house, not the property. They kill the people. And now Samson's really angry. He says, since you have acted like this, verse 7 of chapter 15, since you have acted like this, I swear I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. So he attacked them viciously, he slaughtered many of them, then he went down and he stayed in a cave in the rock of Edom. So the Philistines went up and they camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. And the people of Judah, the children of God, the people of, of whom Samson comes out of, are, are looking at the, the Philistines, the occupying army, who have now invaded their area and are setting up camp in their area. And they look at the Philistines and they say, why have you come to fight us? What have we done? We've come to take Samson prisoner to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah, 3,000 of Samson's brothers, <laughs> they go down to the cave in the rock of Edom and they say this to Samson. 
don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? Think about that for a moment. Here you have men of Judah who who have been occupied by the Philistines, who are, are in effect slaves of the Philistines, speaking to a man who is causing a ruckus among the Philistines and saying to him, hey, stop it! You're causing a problem here. Everything was okay. But everything wasn't okay. They had grown so very complacent and content with the Philistines, their enemies being there, that they were oblivious to the fact that they were living in the midst of God's judgment against them. Samson says, listen, I only did to them what they did to me because that sounds so incredibly mature. Verse 12, they said, so we've come to tie you up and to hand you over to the Philistines. Samson, that's fine, but just to swear that you won't kill me. And so they agreed, we will only tie you up, we'll only hand you over to them, we'll not kill you. Verse 13, chapter 15. So they bound him up with two new ropes, they led him up from the rock. And as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and those two new ropes that were on his arms became like charred flax. The binding simply dropped from his hands. Samson, finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and he struck down a thousand men. That's pretty amazing, right? Small problem. No grapes, no grave. Uh, I bet you that donkey was dead. But at this point, it doesn't really matter. So he's swinging the jawbone, a fresh jawbone of a donkey, meaning the teeth were probably still in it. Makes a great weapon, and he's swinging it, and he is, he is killing a thousand Philistines. And while he is doing it, he's bringing this, this song in verse 16. With a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. And he tosses the jawbone away. Job complete. Our kids picked this story to be preached on. You know that, right? Gets more interesting now. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. One day Samson went to Gaza. Now understand, Gaza is not a a hidden place. Gaza is not a secret fort. Gaza is not a, a place off the beaten path. Gaza is the capital of the Philistine nation. So so Samson goes to the capital, to Gaza, where he saw prostitutes. He went in, he spent the night with her, and the people of Gaza were told, hey, Samson's here. So they surrounded the place and they laid in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and he took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts on the side. He tore them loose off the wall, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and he carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. That is an amazing feat of strength. That would be you or I walking to one of these double doors and just reaching out and ripping it right off its hinges, grabbing the whole, the whole frame, everything with it, and just marching as far as you can through the cornfield up to the top of the hill, just going. It's an amazing feat of strength. So what's the point here in Judges about that? I have no idea. It's a crazy feat of strength. 
And it's just pointing to the fact of, of, of Samson being in the head of the Philistines so very well. But that's when it gets into the main meat of the story of Samson. He says this in verse 4, Sometime later, sometime later he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Delilah, a Philistine again. And when it's known that she and, and, and Samson have a relationship, what happens next is this. The, the Philistine leaders approach Delilah and say, listen, if, if you can find out the source of Samson's strength, we'll give you 11,000 pieces of silver each. And so Delilah, not really having true commitment to Samson, decides that she's going to fulfill their request and find out what the source of Samson's strength is. And so she says to Samson, please tell me, tell me the source of your strength. Oh, big boy, tell me exactly what it is. My, my, my big bow, my friend, my buddy, my, my boyfriend, my husband-to-be, you tell me, you can trust me. And Samson says, okay, okay, I'll tell you what, this is, this is it. if you take seven fresh bowstrings and you tie my hands with, with seven fresh bowstrings, then... I'll have no strength. So she tells the Philistine leaders who bring her seven fresh bowstrings. She coaxes him to sleep. The Philistines in my head are in the closets. They're somewhere in the, in the room there. And as he sleeps, she ties the seven fresh bowstrings around his hands and then says this. Samson, wake up. The Philistines are upon you. Now, being woken up like that's not cool to begin with. But he bounds up and just bursts the bowstring. And she is heartbroken. <laughs> Look at verse 10 of chapter 16. Delilah says this to Samson. You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come on now, tell me how you can be tied. Samson says, okay, let me explain it to you. If you just get seven fresh ropes never been dried out. You bring those, you tie my arms with them, and sure enough, I won't be able to escape. She coaxes him to sleep. The Philistines in the closets. She takes the seven fresh ropes. She, she, she ties his hands with them, and then she says, Samson, wake up! The Philistines are upon you! And he stands up and bursts the ropes, and that was obviously not the source of his strength. <laughs> Verse 13, all this time, you're just making a fool of me. You're lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. All right. If you take my hair and weave it into seven braids, then you take my seven braids and you weave it into your loom and put a pin in it, then pfft, no strength. So uh, Samson is coaxed to sleep, and evidently the dude sleeps through anything. As she takes his hair and weaves it into the loom and secures it with a pin, Samson, the Philistines are here. They're upon you. And he wakes up from the sleep and he pulls out the pin and the loom and his hair comes from the fabric. And now she's mad because not only is he lying to her, but now he broke her sewing machine. Look at verse 15. How can you say, I love you, when you won't even confide in me. This is the third time you've made a fool of me. You haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day 
until he was sick to death of it. Ladies, draw your own conclusions. I was challenged after the first service because I said, ooh, I don't want to talk about nagging in here. I was taken to task by a couple of wonderful women of our church. So ladies, don't nag. Men, when will you learn your lesson? When will you learn your lesson? Told her three times. Each time he told her what could possibly keep him from being strong, what did he wake up to? This time Delilah saw he had told her everything. She sent word to the Philistines and said, hey, um, bring me a razor. You might as well bring the money with you too. So Samson is coaxed to sleep again. She cuts his hair. And it says in verse 19, his strength left him. Verse 20, she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke up from his sleep and he thought, well, I'll just go out as before and shake myself free. Men, when will you learn your lesson? How many times have we fallen for the lie? Well, I haven't gotten caught yet. We've fallen for the deception of, well, God isn't uh, disciplining me right now for that, so must be okay. I'll just. I want to be careful, but I want to be specific. I'll just delete my browser history. I'll just buy an extra phone. Just move some money around. So far, I'm good so far, huh? How many times will it take until we learn? So now Samson has been sprung upon by the people, and he just thought, I'm just going to do what I've always done because I'm so strong. And see, the problem was Samson believed he was so strong. There is a fundamental flaw in Samson because the strength of Samson wasn't from Samson. See, it continues, and it says not only did he think he would just stand up and shake himself free, but he said he didn't know the Lord had left him. What a horrible verse. He was unaware of the fact that the Lord himself had left him. So he awoke from his sleep as the Philistines seized him. And they gouged out his eyes and they took him to the capital city of Gaza. They bound him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding in prison, which is a humiliating punishment. And one of the most unique and strangely encouraging verses in all of Scripture is verse 22. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. It's not unique and encouraging for guys like me. However, as long as you have air in your lungs, the mercies of God are new every morning. Grace is not only greater than our sin, grace is greater than our stupidity. 
And God's promise is still God's promise, no matter how badly Samson messed it up. The point is we can choose to be a part of what God's doing or we can choose not to, but either way, God's going to do it. Beautiful verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says, if, even if we're faithless, he's still faithful because he cannot, he cannot deny himself. It's the picture of Malachi 3, 6, the Lord, our God, he never changes. And that's why you haven't been destroyed yet. Because he is faithful, he is merciful, he is gracious to us. The rulers of the Philistines had assembled to offer great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, to celebrate, saying, man, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. How, how foolish are they? They think their God did something, when in fact the reason Samson was delivered is because God left him. Verse 24, the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. But while they were in high spirits, they said, Look, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison. He performed for them. And when they stood him among the pillars, he said to the servant who held his hand, Just put me, put me where I can feel the pillars that, that support the temple so I, so I can lean against them. The temple was crowded with men and women, and all the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. And Samson prayed to God, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And, and let me get with one blow. Let me get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. He said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. And that's the story our young people wanted me to preach on today. Um, what is the point of that whole story? What's the point? What's the, the whole thing about? Um, Samson is a lousy hero. Lousy hero. He was, he was filled with compromise. He, he compromised on every area of the vow he could. He, he, he was impulsive. I mean, you see that in his relationship with the women, with the prostitutes. He was filled with a sense of entitlement. I want that one. I can act any way I want and still end up coming home and the girl will be waiting for me. I can do whatever I want. There's a sense of entitlement. There's a, and all of that is, is just surrounded by this idea of pride. I, I'll just do what I've always done and it'll be fine. He's a lousy hero. And yet God still used him to accomplish his purposes. If God can use someone like Samson, then he can certainly use us. I mean, folks, we need to stop being surprised at some of the things that, that God does to accomplish his will and his purpose. But we also have to be, stop being surprised about reading the Old Testament and seeing shadows of a Messiah that is to come. So when you, when you read this story, imagine yourself being an Israelite, reading this story in the book of Judges, reading your history, reading about the great, last great judge in your history, because there's no more judges. The book of Judges continues. There are no more judges in this book. So imagine this. This is the finale, the final one. This is it. All of it is going to culminate here. It's all building to this moment. Have, you, have you, any of you ever gotten sucked into a television program and you just can't wait for the finale to come on? 
Any of you poor souls end up watching Lost? Okay, that thing is, is famous for being the worst finale in all of history, but I've got news for you. Every finale is the worst finale in history. Because when you get so involved, so engaged in a story, there is, there's so many expectations about how many storylines need to come to completion, and they never can. They can never fulfill your expectations. So as an Israelite reading this book, I've got to be thinking, this is it. This is the one. He is going to begin to deliver us from the Philistines. This is going to be amazing. What a sore disappointment. Until you get a thousand years later. Because a thousand years later, you start to see the shadows being finished, complete. So Samson, you have this incredible birth. A miraculous birth to a woman who had no children. You've got this incredible strength that comes from within Samson to accomplish so many different things. I mean, Samson was betrayed by someone he, he loved. He was handed over to his oppressors. He was bound in chains. He was mocked by his enemies. And when he died, he accomplished more in his death than he had ever done in his life. Sound familiar? The shadow of Samson directs us right to the Messiah. The one who was born to a virgin, whose strength being filled, being God himself, being able to perform wonderful miracles and deeds that blew the minds of people around him. A man, Jesus Christ, who was betrayed by one of his own, who was arrested and turned over to his oppressors and, and bound in chains and mocked, and in his death accomplishing more than he did in his life by providing a way of salvation for those who would trust in him. But there's great differences between Samson and Jesus. See, Samson was led into custody because of his own foolishness. Jesus was led into custody because of mine. Samson accomplished more in that last act of death than he had his entire life. (laughs) Jesus continues to accomplish great things because after he willingly gave up his life, he rose again. And see, what we need to remember, folks, is that there is a great hero. We can look at any man and find their shortcomings, except for the man Christ Jesus. For in him dwelled the fullness of the Godhead. For in him we find ourselves being forgiven of our sins if we put our faith and trust in him. Man, Samson was a lousy hero. Jesus is the only hero. Let's pray together. Lord, I I thank you for great stories in your word. I thank you for powerful reminders of of your goodness in spite of our weaknesses. Um, (laughs) Lord, Samson's just a messed up guy, but let's be honest, that's us. And so as we consider our own hearts even now, Lord, I pray that we would be sure to, to repent not, not just to, to be sorrowful, but to truly repent of our sin. Lord, I ask that our reflections on you uh, would remind us of how much you love us. <laughs> we see the story of Samson as a lousy hero, but when we see the story of Christ, we're blown away. We're thankful for a, for a Savior who came and died when we were at our weakest. 
a Savior who chose us when we were running astray. God, the, the fact of the matter is this, you're holding on to us far greater than we're holding on to you. So, so Lord, remind us of that today. Remind us of how amazing a Savior we have in Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.